So this morning, I want to continue uh, really the message series God gave us as we celebrated our 15th birthday back two weeks ago in early September. And the series was titled simply The Unfinished Task. And where that came from was from a, a quote by a man named Lauren Triplett. He was the director of world missions for the Assemblies of God in the late 80s, early 90s, when I was first entering into ministry as a pastor. And he said this, he said, you don't measure yourself by your success. He's talking to believers. You don't measure yourself by your success the way the world does, but you measure yourself against the unfinished task that God has called us to, the unfinished task. The word told us that he said, you're to go to all the world and preach the gospel, right? And, and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How many know we got a long way to go on doing that, amen? And in fact, I want to show you something. Today's been a lot of numbers up here today, and I don't think you showed up for a lecture, but uh, on your screen, you'll see this. If, if you understand where we are in the world right now when it comes to the gospel, it is simply this, that 42% of our world population, that's 3.4 billion souls, have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about that. 3.4 billion souls. When we threw up the story of One Hope a while ago, they are reaching billions of children with gospel literature. In fact, I met one of our reps the other day, and just the little bit we've been able to do over the years, and he says, Pastor, y'all have sent to over 65,000 children literature, uh, such as the Bible app for kids. In fact, if you have the Bible app on your phone, that came out of One Hope. It's an amazing ministry. But we look at those numbers, and they can be overwhelming because we look at ourselves, and we're like, God, how, how do we do this? How do, we, how do we even reach our neighbor? How do we make a difference in this world? And, and a few weeks back, I shared with you three points about, about how we have to look at things because it, it came out of a message that ministered to my life about if we're not careful, we will set ourselves up to fail. And I shared with you three ways to guarantee we fail at this task. And the first way is simply this, and that is to only look at the size of the task. We look at 42% and we're like, God, How? But we forget we serve the God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine, amen? He's greater than that. So if we only look at the size of the task, it'll overwhelm us or focus on how little we have. Well, God, I, I don't have much. And yet one of the most celebrated stories in the Bible is a little boy that had what? Uh, a few loaves and a few fish. And the Lord multiplied that and fed multiple thousands of people to show the goodness of our God. The third thing is, and the most critical, is that we leave God out of the picture. That somehow in the flesh, somehow in our own strength, we would say, okay, we can do this. If we've learned anything at hope, we can't do a whole lot. But God through us can do amazing things. And church, I want you to hear that this morning because some of you have that, that, uh, that complex of just like, I just don't think I can do anything or do it well. If God is your God and Christ is your savior. You have the living Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And oh, by the way, God says that all things are possible to those that believe, amen? So again, we have to look at things through the lens of scripture and understand God's calling in our lives. And so we looked at this and we said, well, God, how do we do this? How do we as a church, as a people get engaged in, in this great commission? And we looked in Acts 1.8 and the Lord reminded us that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, not just to have good church services, somebody. We will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, not just to speak in tongues and our prayer and our worship. We will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to be his witnesses through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the othermost parts of the earth. Guys, when it's all laying out, what it's saying is God has not only called us, but he has commissioned us, as David Parker shared last week, he's commissioned each one of us to be and to do our part so that others may know Jesus Christ. 
That's why I was so broken on, on, on Thursday night. I could not communicate in Arabic. I mean, Google Translate's a little hard to, to do a whole lot with in those settings, but I'm thinking, God, you've brought people to us to remind us the world needs Jesus Christ. Today, I want to re-engage this. I want to, I want to bring into this a message that God's spoken to our lives at church in a very fruitful season over the years. And I want to do it this way, and I'm going to need your participation this morning, all right? So I'm going to help you out right now. Let me ask you a question. How many of you today are blessed by God? Let me see your hands. Hold them up. Some of y'all thought you could never raise hands in church. There you go. I've already helped you out. <laughs> keep them up. Now, now, keep them up. All right. How many have ever prayed to God and asked him for more? <laughs> a lot of y'all are getting both hands are going up, right? Okay, so if we're praying to God and we're asking God for more, then we have to answer this question. What is the more for? Father, help us today with this, God. Help us to answer that question in our lives. God, you've blessed us richly. God, we live in the, a great nation and a great city. God, we are, we are surrounded by people that love you, God. We, we, we see, Lord, your, your goodness, God, running after us, God, as we prayed this morning. But Lord, I pray today, God, Lord, that, that question would burn inside of us, God, in a way, Lord, not, not to induce any type of guilt. That's not how you work, God, but, but a gratitude, Father. God, that we would be a people that are gracious, God, and thankful for all you've done through us, God, but we recognize again, Father, that, Lord, our part of this unfinished task, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Most people we live with, dwell with, work with, are around, are pursuing life in a way that's very temporary. In fact, most of what we think about even our own selves, the things that we pray for, the things that we think are about more often are things that are really, truly temporary in this world. We, we think of that like, what shall we eat or what should we wear or where do we live or, or what experience makes us feel alive? But Jesus said, you know what? He goes, those things, I don't even know what you're concerned about. I've got that covered. He says, that's not even a thought. He said, he said look, look at the sparrows. Look at the lilies of the field. He goes, recognize what I've shown you around you, how well I take care of my creation. And yet we spend our time worrying and focusing so much on things that really are temporary. But the moment we give our lives to Jesus Christ, how many know our outlook changes when Jesus Christ becomes the Lord of our lives? It, it, it makes our focus change. It makes our, our passion change. Things that we used to be so about and we're all about this, now it changes because now we've come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, when we surrender our lives to Christ, we discover the truth of his word that says it's in him that we live and move and have our being. And that's why we can raise our hands and say we are blessed. I know I didn't look too closely out there, but some of you might not have raised your hand. I'm here to tell you today, you're going to find out how to be blessed because God wants to show you his goodness. But we recognize we have everything for life given to us by the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we recognize that, then it changes how we focus on our lives, how we focus on every aspect of our lives. It changes how I look at my marriage if I understand that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. It changes how I look at my career or my gifts or my possessions. Everything changes when Jesus is the center of my life. All of a sudden, serving becomes a passion. Although before, we're all looking to get served, aren't we? I had to, had to share with some folks at Pantry the other night because I said, we're not perfect. We run into some struggles sometimes. And it's a saying that one of my mentors gave me a long time ago. And that was, he said, look, everybody wants to be a servant in the church until they're treated like one. And I was like, there's a yes and amen to that because we don't like that feeling. But yet, serving becomes a passion. 
eternity becomes our focus, not just heaven someday. I remember as a kid growing up in church, little Pentecostal church outside of Houston, Texas, I, I just, if I would just listen to what was said around us and we sang about, I would think the only purpose Jesus came for was to get us to heaven. But how many know he's got a purpose in our life here on this earth? We get to represent the King of kings and Lord of lords. We get to show who he is. And if eternity is our focus, then people must become our heart. People must become our focus. Generosity becomes our privilege because, again, the object we focus on determines our path on this earth. Do you know there's only one thing on this earth that is eternal? There's only one thing on this earth that is eternal, and you're sitting next to them right now. It's people. Nothing else around us is eternal. This building won't be here someday. This land, these cities, all around. But people are eternal. God created us that way. And the only thing we can engage in and invest in in this life that makes a difference is people. So the question is, if we are blessed and God has given us more, then what is the more for? Listen, guys, if God has given us more, are we sowing into that which is eternal? Are, are we putting it towards reaching people for Jesus Christ? At Hope, we believe we exist to bring glory to God by serving others, and we desire everyone to engage in, in knowing him. In fact, if you were to come to OnRamp today, and I, I'm not going to talk you out of it, I hope you will come, there are four things we hope everybody experiences because God created this ministry. And that is, number one, we want people to know God, not just here. How many know a lot of people know about God, right? We live in a religious town. Can I get a yes and amen to that? For those of you that are new in Charlotte, North Carolina, we have more churches per capita in this city than any other city in the world outside of Edinburgh, Scotland. The last count, there were 948 churches in this city. Why? Because we're a religious town. But how many know that doesn't mean we're a spiritual town? Because we can have a lot of intellect about Christ and never know him. In fact, Jesus said, he said, listen, the demons know who I am, but those that bow the knee and surrender me, they become my sermons, they become the children of God. You see, we want people to know God, but we also want them to find freedom. And church, listen, I want you to hear this so clearly this morning. I'm burdened right now for some of you because you're, this bondage that you're in, this darkness that's around you, Christ came to set us free. The word says this. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Come on, right? But how do we do that unless we're living in the truth? We can know it, but unless we're obeying and walking it out, we don't find the freedom that it promises. Here's the reality about us coming to Christ. When we come into Christ, we bring a lot of our junk into that relationship. We bring a lot of us into that relationship, right? We bring a lot of our history into that relationship. And here's the truth about that relationship. The moment you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, the power of sin is broken over your life. No longer you can say, well, it's just, I'm just human. No, you, the power of sin is broken over your life but the power of your past needs to be broken as well. And that's where we find freedom. When we recognize we are forgiven. Hallelujah, somebody. That, that God's not up in heaven going, well, remember when. No, he said he cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. Our, our past has to be broken. We have to be released from that to walk into freedom. So we want you to know God, find freedom, and discover your purpose. I believe this sincerely. The two greatest days in your life are this. The day you were born, that's why we celebrate babies, right? And the day you discover why. God, why was I born? Why am I here? Why do I live in this place, in this season, at this time in my life? Because God created you and I uniquely with a purpose that we be engaged in his kingdom that others may know him. And that leads to the last thing we want you to experience, and that is we want you to excel in love by serving others. Church, the ultimate purpose of our life 
is to make a difference. When you drive out of the parking lot today, that's the last message you're going to see. Go make a difference. So what are we doing with the more that the Lord has blessed us with? And how then can we be a blessing to others? Look at John's gospel. John chapter 15. You thought I'd never get there. John 15, verse 8. He says this. He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. He says, by this, are you identified? You, you, by this, you bring glory to God. By this, the, the fruit proves you're my disciples. He's saying there needs to be this outflow of our lives that's not about us. So often when we say, are we blessed? We, we, we tick that off into how God is blessed, and we are blessed. But yet he says the blessing should lead to a blessing, an outflow, a fruitfulness that extends beyond our lives, and church extends beyond these four walls. It's that we, we do everything in our power, everything in our life to point to Jesus. Because if he is the Lord and Savior of our lives, then guess what? There should be a difference in the place that we work because we are there. There should be a difference in the place we live because we are there. We should, there should be a place where whoever we interact with in the world should know that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives. And not because we wear a big t-shirt or, or we say slogans, but because the fruit of our life is so out front. They see the peace, they see the joy, and they see the strength that God brings in us. Notice what it says in verse 11. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Oh, good. Listen this morning, gang. Whenever you live your life for others, you experience God's joy coming into you. You experience God's best coming into you. So much so, he says, it makes your joy complete. We, we don't understand joy that much. We, we, we think joy is a feeling sometimes, right? And we think it's an experience. But I'm telling you, the Lord's joy is more than an experience. It's not some temporary thing. You're not joyful because your team won yesterday, all right? You're happy. That, that's good. But joy is much more than just a moment. You're not joyful because you got a big vacation coming up. Now, I'm, I think vacation sounds good right now. But lasting joy is family recognize that God blesses us to be a blessing to others. The, the world of, of psychology calls this transcendent living. It's where now you're living for something beyond yourself. The Bible calls it abundant living. Jesus says, I come to give you life and life to the full. Oh, there's an opposite side of that. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And how many know that's real too? But God said, I've, I, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. So whenever we focus our lives on this abundancy, or we focus our lives on the blessing, whether it's our church or individually, then through our lives, we answer what the more is for, and then we see God get involved. So many times, pastor, I just need God to come into my life. I need God involved in this situation. I need God, and I want to go, are you blessing others? Is there an understanding what the more is for? Or are, you just, or are you just unsatisfied because you think God ought to do certain things when he's made us to do certain things? And we've got to come back to that place of saying, God, you bless us to be a blessing. But I'm afraid so often we don't know what blessed even means. If you're new to the South, blessed has a lot of meanings. If someone says God bless you, they're not being nice. If they say bless your heart, they're definitely not being nice. We use it as a defense mechanism. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. We have this stupid grin on our face. You know what's bad is I know you. I, is your, I know way too much. That's, that's a bad, downfall of being a pastor, way too much information. How you doing? Oh, we're blessed. Oh, come on. 
What we're saying is I'm not going to be transparent enough with you for you to care about me. And I'm not going to be open up enough that, that somehow maybe you might be in my life and somehow that may bring healing into me. Oh, we, we like to say slogans like, oh, we're better together, but I'm not so sure about that. Because the world has caused us, caused us not to trust anyone. So we use this word even as a defense mechanism. But blessed simply means that we have what God wants in our lives. We have more. We have, we have more gifts, more dreams, more abilities, more resources. Why? Because God has blessed us to bless others so that they can know there's a God in heaven that loves them. That's what the more is for. You see, I'm convinced that if we look at this unfinished task and we recognize what God is doing around the world, that God is still looking for a people whom he can trust with more because they know what the more is for. I mean, you think about the pattern going back early into the word of God, even into our father Abraham. Do you remember the blessing and the promise God made to Abraham? It'll be on the screen. It's found in Genesis chapter 12, and it's a blessing that still flows into us and through us today, and I'll show you this in Scripture. In Genesis 12, verse 2, it says, this is God speaking to Abraham, I will make you of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God to Abraham, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work through you, Abraham, and the whole world's going to be blessed because of you. And yet now we stand on this side of the cross under the new covenant God has for us, and God is still working through a people who know what this more is for. I mean, think about this. You say, Mike, that was for them. How can you believe that for us? That was for them. We're not modern Israel. We understand that. But God, how is that for us? Well, Paul addressed it in the, in the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, it says this. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Come on, church, talk about more. <laughs> not only are we on this side of the cross, not only do we have more than just knowledge, church, we have the Holy Spirit. Come on, right? We have God dwelling in us. Abraham had a promise. Can you imagine walking through that desert day after day going, God, where are you? I know you gave me a promise. I'm not sure that's going to work out. But yet by faith, he continued. And we're blessed by that. But now we have God dwelling in us, the power of the Holy Spirit. Talk about more. It should compel us to know our purpose. It should compel us to answer the question, why am I doing what I do? Unless it bears fruit and a testimony of who God is in my life. But it's not easy, is it? It's not easy because our human nature is very transactional. God, if I'm going to, be, if I'm going to bless someone else, what am I getting out of this? God, God, if I'm going to know what the more is for and it's not for me, then God, what am I going to get out of this? And why should I even care about others? And yet God's plan to give us life is not just for our own benefit, church, but that through our serving and blessing of others, God would be known. I want you to see this on the screen because it's so clear to me about us. God calls us as a church to be on mission, to be on mission. But to accomplish that, we must know what the more is for. Paul had a young protege named Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. Praise God for young pastors. I used to be in that category. I remember when I was in the under 40s, I thought I was something. Then they kicked me out of that real quick. And now I was at a meeting the other day. I'm all these pastors I work with. And a, and a man stands up and says, I, wanna, I want you to help me out with something, but I want to hear from the young pastors, not from you old guys. And he's pointing at me. <laughs> I'm like, thanks a lot, bud. All right, I'll remember that. 
My first church, I was 28. I can relate to Timothy. I never forget the first Sunday we arrived in Chinkapin, North Carolina, to be the pastors there. And uh, the matriarch of the church shows up and says, young man, I got grandkids older than you. And I said, man, but they're not your pastor. And she didn't think that was funny. But God was working because we knew what the more is for. So I understand what Paul had to do to this young pastor because this was hard to say. And it's still hard to say today. And here's what he told him to do in 1 Timothy 6. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides with everything to enjoy. Look at your neighbor and say, God wants you to enjoy this. You didn't say that with much conviction. You're like, wait a second, the tradition I grew up in, we did not enjoy God. I'm telling you, you should enjoy God, all right? And you get to enjoy what he blesses you with. There's this wrong teaching that if you're spiritual, you're going to be poor. Some of y'all are laughing. Y'all have heard that teaching. Some of you came out of countries where it was, a, it was more legitimate if you were poor. Then some of that showed your love for God. No, no, no. He says, I, I've richly provided you with everything to enjoy, but he goes beyond that and says, here's how you enjoy it. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Get this, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Oh, come on, church. So many people are like trying to find life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a good life. He's saying this is how you make a good life. Because when you get this, you will walk in this world with a generous spirit. You'll walk with meaning. You will walk with joy. You'll wake up in the mornings looking for opportunity. Who can I bless today? Who can I come around and show them the love of Christ today? You will stop seeing people as the problem and seeing them as the opportunity. Oh, Mike, mark that. I have to remind myself of that all the time. The problem is this. The problem is we read this scripture and many just dismiss it wholeheartedly this morning because they don't think of themselves as being rich. But yet, if we understand uh, in the world we live in today, church, there's not a single person in here that's not rich. There, there was a Gallup poll recently. It was kind of interesting. They, they asked a bunch of folks and said in America, who do we consider to be rich? And this poll was taken about five years ago, so the numbers, I'm sure, have changed greatly. But, but they, said, they said, who's rich? And, and here's the answer they came with. They said, oh, in America, if you're rich, you make $150,000 a year. So they went and they asked people that made $150,000 a year, are you rich? They said, are you kidding? No, we live paycheck to paycheck. You know, student loans, mortgages, car payments. In fact, a study just came out a week ago that over 40% of those earning $100,000 in America live paycheck to paycheck. Something's wrong with that. So they went back. Well, there was no amens to that. So they went back to those who make thirty dollars to $35,000 a year, and they said, what would it take for you to be rich? And they said, oh, if we made $75,000 a year, we would be rich. And they shook their heads and said, no, we got to figure this out. So they went and they polled people who subscribed to Money Magazine. How many know you got to have money to subscribe to Money Magazine? It is not Sports Illustrated. It's not Southern Living. You're not, you're not subscribing to that for a recipe, all right? And they said, what do you need to be to be rich in America? And they said, oh, five million. <laughs> yeah. And those who made that claimed, but we're not rich. So the moral of their story, the moral of their poll was this. Nobody is rich, but everybody knows somebody who is. <laughs> Nobody's rich, but everybody knows somebody who is. 
Yet, yet even though we recognize that riches are not about dollars, they're, they're so much more about the health and all that God gives us, but if you make between forty dollars and $45,000 annually, it puts you in the top 4% of earners in our world today. Folks, that's, that's minimum wage. We're rich. It just doesn't feel like it sometimes. We're rich, but, but we feel lives with so much else, it doesn't feel like it. But yet we have rich people problems. I mean, we complain like this internet connection is really slow on the airplane I'm flying to on vacation. I can't watch my movie the way I want to. Why can't I get better cell service in the auditorium of Hope Church? We'll keep that a mystery. You may not think you're rich, but I guarantee you this. Most of you today went into a room in your house that is specifically planned and made so that your clothes have a place to live. And many of you put your hands on your hips and said, I have nothing to wear. (laughs) Then this afternoon, you're going to order something on Amazon. Like, I can't believe they can't get it today. I thought they had drones. Come on. We don't think we're rich. We have rich people problems. And yet God has promised me all our need according to his riches in Christ Jesus and has blessed us to be a blessing. Oh, church, come on. This is is a message we've got to get into our spirit. This is not a message to make us feel bad about ourselves or heap on a load of guilt because guilt doesn't motivate anybody. If you hadn't figured that out, parents. What changes us is not guilt, it's gratitude. It's gratitude. It's understanding God gives us that which we do not deserve. When we get this picture of of all the Lord has done for us, then we must answer what the more is for because God did not create us to be guilty. He created us to be responsible. There's a big difference. He's not looking for guilty people. He's looking for people who are free because when you're free, you learn how to be generous. That's why Paul could write in Romans 12, verse 2, in view of God's mercies. Offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable worship. He said, when you look at what God has done for you, how can we not offer it all? How can we not lay it out there? Now, I will tell you, we're not taking a special offering up into this service, so some of y'all can stop being nervous. And y'all know at Hope, we've never taken special offerings anyway. But I will say that the generosity for the believer is found beyond the tithe. Let me say that again. Generosity for the believer is beyond the tithe. Amen, Pastor. That was good preaching. Good biblical exegesis. Y'all still are not convinced. <laughs> See, here's the thing. We say we follow God. We say we obey the Bible. We say we walk in obedience. But yet in the American church right now, the average person gives 1.7% of their income to God. Do you know what tithe is? 10%. So not only are we coming short, we're not even being obedient. And yet we're saying to God, bless me, bless me, bless me, but I'm not being obedient. So we're not even knowing what the war more is for. Listen, it's a strange thing, and it's, 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 it has not changed. But in America, it is true that the less you make, the more generous you are. The less you make, the more generous, based on a percentage basis. And it's never changed. doesn't matter what season, recession, whatever. The less you make, the, the, the more generous you are. Could it be... That when you recognize your dependency upon God, it makes you more generous than to fall in the trap you think you've got it covered. 
You see, if we're looking at what the more is for, this is not a sermon on tithing, but you can't get around it. You've got to come to this. We have to recognize that when we are generous, then we see everything God has blessed us with, and we find a way to use that for his glory. Think about it. If you have health, then you need to use your physicality to get out and engage in serving someone else. You need to find a way to, to go beyond just doing that which brings more to you and somehow give more away. If you've got a healthy marriage, you need to share that with others and help them grow in their relationship. If you've got talent, use it for God's glory. And if you've got resource, then you need to ask, what is the more for? Look at Luke 12, 48. It says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Oh, church, God is looking for people who know what the more is for. 15 years ago when we started this church, there were some non-negotiables. I, I, I found my writings the other day or my chicken scratch because I write horribly, but I had written some things down and says, God, I don't want to be part, I don't want to start this church unless we get this. And, and the first thing was, God, we're going to be a generous church. God, we're going to be a generous church, but we're going to be a generous church in blessing our community. God, we're going to be a church that if we went away, our community would suffer. That's, that's why we have a whole street. That's why we're engaged in the schools. Why? Because God created us to be right where we are in the season we're in so that the more would flow through us to others. You see, church, God is challenging us now in this entering our 16th year not to get comfortable in our current settings, but to stretch us by faith. And he wants to do that for a purpose. Look at this in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11. Here's this promise that he has when we understand what the more is for. He says, so you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Oh, I like that combination, don't you? The outflow says you'll be enriched so that God receives thanks. You'll be blessed that through you, others will see your Father and glorify him in heaven. You'll be enriched so that you're able to meet needs around you so that our God gets all the praise. Church, listen, if, if generosity flows out of your life and somehow it, it, it reflects back on you, then something's wrong. See, we, we don't do what we do to make a name for ourselves. We, we don't do what we do to get a trophy or a plaque. We don't do what we do to have an Instagram moment, church. We do this for the glory of God. We do this because we know Jesus and he has saved us from our sin. How could we not be generous? Because the greatest gift of all was given for us. There's only one place that I'm concerned that my name is known. It's in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because one day you and I are all going to stand before our Father and we're going to have this statement. I want to hear it for every one of us. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful. And he's not going to say, Pastor. He's not going to say CEO or mom or physician or professor. Yeah. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful yes, servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Let me make you ruler over much. Church, God is looking for a church that will step up to the responsibility to present Christ and care for those that he's assigned us to. To those God has given us the ability to pour out blessing that, that they've never received. He says when we do that, he'll pour out blessing in our lives that we cannot even contain. You know, America is a blessed nation. Can we get a yes to that? Yes. I'm not gonna say America's a Christian nation. I'm gonna say America's a blessed nation. We send more money around the world for missions and compassion than anywhere else. But can I tell you, we've lost our way. Check this out, a little picture here. This year in America, 
We will spend more on Halloween costumes for our pets than we will spend globally to do outreach to reach unreached people groups around the world. That 42% that's never heard the gospel. We will dress up our cat who will hate us forever. I think they hate us already, but they will hate us forever because they're the spawn of Satan, but we're not going to get off of them dog theology right now. Do they look happy? I'm just, I mean, someone, when they sleep at night, they're going to like paws over their nose. I mean, they're like trying to snuff them out because that's what cats do. They're just horrible. It doesn't matter what our nation does. It matters what we as sons and daughters of our living God do that makes a difference because he has given us a responsibility to be a blessing to others and bestowed on us blessings we can't even contain. Church, there's more to this than about getting. It's all about being a blessing. Look at 2 Corinthians 9.10. It says, it is he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. We are so thankful that we get to do what we do. We are so thankful that we get to do what we do. Because God understands, when we understand what the more is for, he will give us more. We determined at the early start of our ministry 15 years ago that if we expect to live off the tithe of God's people, then the church is going to tithe. And from day one, we've been giving away over 10% of whatever comes in the door to missions around the world. Literally, in this last year, it's going to be somewhere in about the 16% range. We give things like crisis pregnancy center because we, we believe babies shouldn't die in the womb or be killed in the womb. Amen? Yeah. And we want to be involved in that. We give money to things like Second Harvest Food Bank and crisis assistance because guess what? It is nearly impossible to live in Charlotte, North Carolina on less than 40000 a year. Near impossible. I spoke to the contractor next door. I said, you putting in some affordable housing? Oh, yeah, it's affordable. I said, like what? He said, a one-bedroom is $1,400 a month. My buddy, what's your understanding of affordable? We, we get so into Hope Street Food Tramp Pantry because we want to give people the word of life and the bread of life. Listen, guys, 4% of our 10% goes to planting other churches, both in our community and around the world. Why? Because church plants are focused on the lost. They're not just there to maintain a building and a tradition. God help us. That's why there's 948 churches in Charlotte. We're praying half of them would give their building to church plants because they've stopped reaching people for Jesus. They're too busy telling their history than pointing to the forwardness of what God is doing in our community. We send missionaries around the world. We educate pastors, evangelists, missionaries. That's why we do what we do. And the reason we do it is because we understand what the church is. Guys, the church of Jesus Christ is not a show or a concert with a TED Talk. With an Instagrammable pastor. We're the living, breathing body of Christ that knows what the more is for and offers it to God as a blessing to others. And as long as we do that, guess what? He's going to entrust us with more. Because we have a responsibility. Let me finish with this today. In Hebrews 12, 15, it's a very interesting verse. Hebrews 12, 15, he's speaking about a story out of the Old Testament that maybe many of you know about. If you don't, I'll, I'll kind of fill in the blanks here for you about a man named Esau. And in Hebrews 12, 15, it says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. 
Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn for a single meal. Say, what's that about? Ungodly, immoral. If you understand Esau, Esau and Jacob were were brothers, and in Esau was the firstborn. And if you look back in the Old Testament, the firstborn was always due a portion from his father. In fact, he was due a double portion from his father. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. He didn't draw a ticket second to be the firstborn. But what happened with that is he said, you're going to receive a double portion because you're going to pick up the strength of your father and you're going to find the responsibility of the father if you ever find yourself as head over the family. And Esau, Esau did what so many do on this earth today. He had this responsibility, he had this blessing, this double portion that he would somehow be a blessing to others, but instead of looking at the responsibility of the firstborn, he just determined to take care of himself. And so he sold his birthright to his brother for a bowl of stew. And God says, make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau. The word says in verse 17, you know that afterward when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. Church, we've been saying it all year long. Our identity has to line up with our testimony. And our testimony is not just what we say, it's what we do. And God wants to do through us more if we understand what the more is for. Let me read you one last scripture and we're gonna pray. Church, we are blessed. Remember we all raised our hands? Some of y'all raised two, hallelujah. Next week when we're praising, worshiping God, I want to see hands up. Come on. Some of y'all are like, I just, I just raise them. You'll, you'll find out something in worship real fast when you forget about yourself. In Isaiah 58, find, find that. Isaiah 58, you need to see, it'll be on the screen, but you need to see this. If we're going to ask God for more, we got to understand what the more is for. And Isaiah was talking, God through the prophet was talking to a people that were doing the right things, but were missing the points. They were doing the right things. So, so it, it speaks about fasting in this, in this scripture I'm going to share with you. But in, the, in that word fasting, you could, put, you could put church services. You could even put tithing there, whatever you want to put there. Can I tell you, you just see the difference in this. In Isaiah 58, verses 5 through 12, he says this. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves. In other words, is this what we do? We just show up on Sunday every once in a while and we sing a few songs and go home. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. It is, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Here's what he's saying, Isaiah the prophet. He's saying, listen, guys, God is looking for people who know what the more is for. And he says, and now look what happens when they engage in it. Verse eight, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Then God's favor and influence in our lives and the lives we engage in will be evidence. When I ask you if you ever prayed for more, that's what we're saying. God, we want more of your favor. God, we want more, but but we have to understand what it's for. He says, in that moment, darkness is overcome by light. In that moment, it'll break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. How many need healing and restoration? 
and yet we live in a one-sided transaction. God, we just want all you have, but don't, but don't ask us to engage in what the more is for. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Come on, somebody. He says this. Here's what I know about people. I've been doing this for 30-something years now as a pastor. Here's what I know about people that know what the more is for, that live not only the tithe is our responsibility, the generosity goes beyond that. What I recognize about them is it doesn't mean they may have less drama in their lives. They just have confidence in the middle of the drama and know that God's in control. And that's why they walk in joy. That's why they walk in peace. But I also know the flip side, and that is those that don't understand that. When the drama hits, they have nothing to rely on. And they fall apart. Why? Because they don't understand the blessing that comes when we do it God's way. It says, then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. He answers our prayers. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with pointing a finger of malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Church. If I go that road, we're preaching 10 more minutes. Come on. God will take care of you. He says, I'll meet all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He did not create us, set us apart, save us by the blood of the lamb, only for us to exist until he comes back. But we must understand, he says, when you enter into my way of life, then you find life. When you're into my way of generosity, then you find the more that comes. He says, then you will find relief for spiritual darkness and oppression. I find it to be true over and over again as I'm brought into council and I sit and I, I hear what people are dealing with and they say, but I'm dealing with this and this and this. And it seems like there's just no hope, no hope, no hope. And then they get mad because they say, I'm gonna ask you something. Are you being generous toward God? Like, what does that have to do with it? It's called obedience. Well, why? Because he's given you everything. And his promises come so clearly. He engages to our lives willfully. He needs nothing from us, but he wants us to see that everything comes from him. And when we come and recognize that and we do what this word says, he says he brings relief from the spiritual darkness and oppression. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. He'll give guidance. He'll give strength. He'll give productiveness. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient runs and will raise up age-old foundations. You will be called repair of broken walls, restore of streets and dwellings. Church, if you really want to be blessed, if you want to raise that and understand what blessing is, he says, then you discover it when you discover what the more is for. Man, I want to experience all seven of those blessings. And I want you to experience them as well. And I can stand as your pastor not needing to take up an offering, not needing any more to do what we're doing with right now. But knowing this, so much of the drama, so much of the brokenness, so much of the feeling inadequate, 
comes from an unwillingness just to be obedient to God and say, I'm gonna walk into your life, God, and I'm gonna do it your way. So church, as we look at this before us, and we say, God, what is our part in this unfinished task? And I throw up there that 42% of this world needs to hear about Jesus. We can, we can choose to look at how big that task is and say, it's impossible, Pastor. We might as well just stop. Or we can look at ourselves and say, we're not enough. Or we can leave God out of the picture. Or we can pray to the God of more and say, God, if you bless, God, we will release. And God, we will sow into the one thing that is eternal in this world. It's people. There's a reason I'm not gonna ask you for an offering to build a parking lot. It's asphalt. But I'm gonna encourage you when you give, it just increases the capacity for us to send more missionaries, to release more ministers, to plant more churches. Why? So that people may know Jesus.